Today, I just want to take a few minutes and talk about the impossible. Like whatever that is for you, whatever in your life seems impossible. And, and it's probably different for a lot of us, and a lot of us could share the same ones. But in life, we come up against impossible things. Things that can't happen. Things that logically we can't figure out. God, God will even call us to the impossible. Right? We talk about that sometimes, that he calls us to things that are bigger than us so that we need him. We have to rely on his strength, like things that we can't do on our own. So, so this morning we're going to talk about the impossible. And I would start by stating the fact that it is impossible. The impossible is impossible. That's how it got its name, the impossible. To live a life of faith, we must learn to embrace the impossible. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. We, if we want to truly live a life of faith and be the people that God's called us to be, if we want to make a difference in the world, if we want to have an impact in the kingdom of God, then we have to learn how to embrace the impossible. We have to. And we can look all throughout Scripture and see all the different heroes of the faith. Go read Hebrews and it, and it lists all the heroes of our faith. And every single one of them had to deal with impossible odds. Whether it was Noah's Ark or, I mean, you name it. David and Goliath, Father Abraham. You'll read down through the list and every one of them had to learn how to embrace the impossible. And rely on God's strength and let God work through it. They didn't run from the impossible. They didn't break down and get bitter or negative when faced with the impossible. So we need to learn how to embrace the impossible. Sometimes that looks a lot like work. Sometimes it looks like risk. Oh, I don't know if I've embraced it. You, you're you're going to start embracing the impossible. That's pretty risky. Right? I mean, and sometimes it doesn't seem to be smart. You got to take some risks. They say you got to risk it to get the biscuit. And I like biscuits. But I don't like risk. Um, I'm sure several of you have already heard about this because I asked a bunch of you as thinking about this message and studying. I showed a lot of you sitting in here this picture this week. And it's of a half court, of half of a basketball court. And it says, you get one shot. Which one do you shoot? And it's a price list, like if you were getting paid to take one shot. And it's $50,000 for a layup. It's $100,000 for a free throw. And on the more difficult the shot, the more money you make. And on this list, you can make up to a million dollars. I think what was the million was for the three-pointer from the corner. Right, and so I asked just because I was thinking about this and, and I was thinking about this message like I usually do and just chewing on it this week and studying and letting God speak to me. And I saw that picture and I like things like that anyways to think about stuff like that. And then I was really curious to what different 
how different people would respond to that or what different people would say about it. So I got a bunch of different answers, but the overwhelming majority of the people in our church that I asked said, I'm going to have to just take that layup. I'm going to have to get my 50000 and walk on. Very few said others. And Tyler said he would shoot the three-pointer from the corner for the million. I think Tyler and Sky are the only ones that think they could hit that. I don't remember. But most people just went with the layup. What's well, easy. And that, that really got me thinking about, you know, where is that balance as people of faith, as Jesus followers, as... You know, we believe that the God, the creator of the universe is our father, that he's on our side, that he's, we just sang it, that he's for us. He's not against us. He has these purposes and calls and plans. He's a big God. So where is that balance in there of using wisdom and knowing my limitations? Lay up. Right? Like, I'm a big guy. I've played down low. I don't, I can't really shoot three pointers if we're talking about the basketball shot. The layup is a pretty sure thing for $50,000. But I don't want to look back on my life and realize that I never had enough guts, that I never had enough courage or faith to take the million-dollar shot, that I always just went with the layup because it was safe. It was what I know. It was in my comfort zone. It was in my wheelhouse, right? And that I never took the million-dollar shot. But then, you know, jump to the other end of the spectrum. I can look at some people in my life that all they did was took the million-dollar shot and they never went back and hit the layup, so they just missed the million-dollar shot over and over. Now, I don't want to be too far that way. I want to use wisdom. So, you know, that's just got me thinking about the impossible. Because, you know, for me, that corner three is kind of impossible. If you... I would say, for myself personally, speaking about that basketball shot, it'd be about 98% that I would hit the layup. Almost 100% of the time I'm going to hit the layup without a defender on me, of course. 50 or 60% I could hit that free throw for 100000 I might could hit two or three out of ten on that three-pointer. Now, what, we're down to like 20%? Not so good. The odds. But even that's still possible. What about when we're talking about something impossible? Something that I can't do. Not like you're, you're praying for a baby and you've been told it's impossible or you fill in the blank. What is it that is impossible to you? I think God wants to speak some things to you today. He's been speaking some things to me. It's that place between knowing your limits and shooting for the stars. Tyler said, I'd rather miss the three-pointer than the layup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feel kind of dumb if you played it safe and missed that one. But you could have tried for the big one. Wayne Gretzky, not Wayne Taylor. Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You never know if you don't try. 
And when God lays a vision or a dream or something on your heart, if, you, if you're too scared to ever try it, you, you don't ever have the faith, you've never worked out that faith muscle to, to try it, you'll fail. You miss every shot you don't take. So when you look back on your life, what will you see? We see a lot of victories. We see a lot of made shots. You're going to miss some. We all will. What do we do? You wait for your shot. The problem is, in the kingdom of God and in the in the spirit, waiting looks a little different than we think waiting. When we think about waiting, a lot of times we, and when I say we, I think a lot of Christians and just a lot of people not Christians too can use waiting as an excuse to not do anything. We use waiting as a, almost like a cop-out. I'm waiting on the Lord. For 10 years? I'm, I'm still waiting on the Lord. God's got me in a season of rest. In a season of waiting. I'm retired in the Spirit. No. That don't, there's no retirement in the kingdom. There's no retirement in the Spirit. I don't care how old you are physically. If you're still breathing, God's got stuff for you. God's got plans and purposes and vision. Like, there are things for your life. There's hope for your future. If you're alive, you're not retired. There are things that you can do and be productive in the kingdom and walk out your purpose and your call. You can wake up every day and have meaning. You can breathe in life, fresh breath, the breath of the Spirit. It, all of us. You don't get to say you're retired or just waiting. Mm-mm. Spiritual waiting looks a lot like work. You know it? Isaiah 40. I'm just going to read this real quick because we've looked at this. We kind of broke this down not that long ago. So I'm just going to read it to you out of the Message Bible. Isaiah 40 says, God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to the dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. Wait, he said those that wait. Those that wait run and those that wait walk and those that wait spread their wings and fly like eagles. That, that's a different weight than I was thinking of. Well, if I tell my kid, if I tell Titus, hey, Titus, wait right there. And he's running and spreading his wings and flying like an eagle and walking and never getting tired and that's not that's not the weight I was thinking of All right, that's a different kind of weight he's running across the ball field spreading his wings like this is 
Obviously, I'm thinking of a different weight than Isaiah put down here, than God said through the prophet Isaiah. See, that weight that he used there, it was translated weight, they that wait upon the Lord. It's a Hebrew word, and it means to hope in, to be gathered or connected. That's what we're doing here, connected, to be gathered. It's to be gathered or connected, to hope for, to look for, to wait, gather together, gathered those who gather those who look those who hope remember our hope is in the future so what does it look like to wait it's to gather and connect and make relationships and hope for the future that's a dream or a vision hope you're hoping for something in the future you're waiting that's what it looks like to wait in the spirit is to look to look for God to gather to hope to wait to look that's what we're doing here now on Sunday morning. We're listening for God as we wait. You don't need faith for the predictable. You don't have to trust God. You don't. If you can predict what's going to happen, you already know the outcome. You don't have to deal with uncertainty or fear or stress or you don't need God. You can just, you don't need faith. So if we want to be people of faith, and I do, we must embrace the impossible. But the problem is we don't like uncertainty in our own lives. I like uncertainty in, say, a movie. A good old predictable movie where I know everything that's going to happen and nothing surprises me and there's no suspense and no action. or There's no... Not a very good movie. Nobody wants to watch it. What about a book where it's all predictable and you know exactly what's going to happen and who's going to end up with who or what's going to... like. There's no suspense. There's no villain or bad guy or anything good or bad. Like, nothing bad. That's not a good book. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, we want our lives to be predictable and planned out and us to figure out how we can do everything. But God calls us to unpredictability. What about in sports? I've been to, I'm a Falcons fan, if y'all didn't know. I've been to some Falcons games. And I was thinking about that, about some of the Falcons games we've been to in the past. And one time, we got a good deal on some tickets. Falcons were playing the Bucks, And it was the last game of the regular season. The Bucks were no good that year. It was no competition, no chance. The Falcons had already made the playoffs, so win or lose, they still made the playoffs. So it was kind of a meaningless game. That's why we got such good deal on the tickets. But when we got there, it was like, yay, our team's killing the other team. Yay, wait, who are these guys? The starters are sitting on the bench because we don't want to get them hurt. So it's like they're just playing second, third string guys, getting them some playing time. And, and we won. The Falcons won the game, and it was great. And I'm happy that our team won. But honestly, walking away, even though it was a win, it was just kind of like, 
yay, that wasn't that. I mean, wah, wah, you know, like expect more out of it. Now, me and Jesse and the boys got to go to a playoff game a few years ago playing Green Bay. And it's a playoff game, and it meant a lot, and everybody played with every ounce of heart and soul they had because this is it. You lose, you're out. You win, you go forward. Green Bay's good. So, and we win that game. And if you're wondering, I'm not telling any stories where we lost, right? <laughs> Won't do it. <laughs> it's hard to even think of any. God's given me the gift of the sea of forgetfulness for Falcons' losses. So, we beat Green Bay. People were carrying in like cheese graters and stuff, and thank God we won because it would have looked really dumb if we lost, but we won. Okay, that game, the stadium was packed. Everybody waving towels and freaking out and yelling and chants are starting and people are doing waves and cheering and high-fiving and hugging strangers and, like, going crazy. The feel after that win was much, much different. Why? Because there was a worthy opponent. Because it meant something. It wasn't just a gimme like no kidding you're one you're gonna win for sure so the victory was so much sweeter one was easy and didn't even matter the other required some faith you believing that they could win and there was some doubt there But isn't that how the sweet victories are? There's some doubt. You don't know if you're going to be able to make it through this one. You don't know if you're going to be able to pay this bill. <laughs> like, you don't know if this, if whatever it is. I want to get too spe specific by giving more examples. Because we all have things in our life where there's some doubt. Hey, am I going to make it through this? God, you going to come through this time? God, did I miss it? God, can you restore my marriage? God, can you heal my mom? God, whatever it is. See, there's faith. But there may be a little doubt there. There's a little uncertainty. Faith and doubt can coexist. We've played, I was thinking about not just a fan there cheering, but it's the same if you're a player in the game. Uh, we've played games on our flag football team. We played a team called On Point, the church flag football team that we weren't supposed to beat because they were on point. They had a really good name. And it was a really rough game, and there was a lot of injuries. And, and Bo here got carried off the field and taken to the emergency room during the game, and we made the decision to keep playing. A guy ran up his leg, 
guy ran up his leg and stabbed his cleat into Bo's leg and it, without describing it too much, it was pretty nasty. We quickly made the decision to keep playing because we were up. So Bo got a ride to the emergency room. And then we said, let's win this one for Bo. You know, get every bit of emotion you could get. we try to win this thing. Uh, shortly after Bo left, I got hit like really hard and we had no subs. And I got hit in the shin and it was hurting bad. And I played a couple other plays. And then when we went over to the huddle, I pulled, slid up my pants. And I had a new knee that God didn't give me. Bigger than the one that God gave me. That guy on On Point had given me an impressive knee. Better than the Creator gave me. I'm talking about a big boy. They're like, oh my gosh, do you need to go sit down? I'm like, I can't. Long story short, somehow in the world, we held on and won that game. We weren't, we weren't supposed to win. We were injured and beat up, and we won the game. I limped for a week. Right? I hurt, but every time I limped, I smiled because we won. Right? It made it worth the pain. If we lost... I probably would have cried every time I had to, you know, pick up a mattress or whatever I was doing that week. Like every time I had to do something, I, I would have cried. But since we won and it was such a sweet victory, there was so much that we had to overcome and we did and we won. It was worth the pain. In fact, the pain became a trophy. I liked when I felt the pain because it reminded me of the sweet victory. And people are looking at me real weird. It's true for you, too. I'm sorry you hadn't had a sweet victory. <laughs> we can't run from impossible things. As people of faith and people of God, we can't run from pain. We can, but we will never be the people He's called us to be. We'll never slay the giants that He's called us to slay if we run from all our giants. We have to learn how to embrace the impossible and know that we serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God that can give us victory. In fact, He already has given us the victory. So I want to read you this story in Mark 9. You may know the story, you may not. Uh, but in this story, we see that it's possible for faith and doubt to live in the same land, to live in the same heart, the same mind, and the same person. At the same time, you can have faith and doubt. So just a little quick little backstory. Uh, Jesus, Jesus took his favorites, and uh, they went up on the mountain. And they had a really cool experience, and it was awesome. We know it as the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, but he left the other disciples down there on the ground, down in the valley. And we're going to read the story when Jesus and, you know, his couple of favorite disciples come down off the mountain, and they see a giant crowd gathered down there. And look what happens. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes questioning them. You know how when you leave your kids somewhere and then you, 
you go back to get your kids and you look and there's, if there's a big crowd of people around them, you're going to be like, oh gosh, what'd they do? What happened? This is Jesus coming down like, uh, why is there a giant crowd and scribes where I left the disciples? And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? What are y'all asking them? What's going on here? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Any of y'all sons have a dumb spirit? <laughs> he has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with, it, gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and he wallowed foaming. This poor dad, like it doesn't tell us how old the boy is. But we're going to see that he's been this way since childhood. He's been this way since he was a little boy. So that suggests maybe he's not a little boy anymore. It's his son. But he says it's been that way since he was a little kid. It's been that way since childhood. So some of the scholars believe he may have been in his 20s. And this poor dad, you know, he's, he's tried to take care of him. And this kid's got a demon and it's tried to kill him. And it, it throws him on the ground and it throws him in fire and it throws him in water and tries to drown him. And, and the dad's just looking for some hope, some help. Some, he's exhausted. He's, he's probably tired. He's come to the disciples and said, hey, can y'all help? And they said, yeah, we can help. Heal him. And it didn't work. So he just got another disappointment. And then here comes Jesus and asks what's going on. And dad gets a little bit more hope like finally somebody's going to help my boy. And then what we just read, it got worse. Right? Jesus said, come to me. And they bring the boy over. And as soon as they come walking into Jesus' presence, poosh, boy falls on the ground and starts foaming at the mouth and rolling around on the ground and the thing that the dad never wanted to see happen again happened again in the presence of Jesus I knew you couldn't help I knew my situation was too far I knew it was too bad I, I knew when I came into Jesus' presence you said that God could help me and I came to church and it got worse I turned my life around and didn't see the difference. In fact, things got worse. I'm done. Would have been easy for dad to just say, I don't know. 
See, he had to see it again. What he never wanted to see happen again. And I want you to look at how calm Jesus is. This boy just fell on the ground and he's rolling around. He's demon possessed. He's foaming at the mouth. He's freaking out. Now, the reaction of the most people, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but if, you know, after church, if one of y'all walk down and say, hey, this is my son, would you pray for him? And I say, yeah, come here and I'll pray for you. And he falls on the ground and starts rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And I'm going to be like, whoa. Look how calm Jesus is when all this happens and you know the crowd's freaking out. Look what Jesus says in 21. And Jesus asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? What, what does it matter? Can you help him or not? I didn't come here to chit chat with you. Can't you see my boy needs you? And Jesus is like, so how long has this been happening to him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire. So he starts telling Jesus about his pain. About the areas of pain in his life that he's had to walk through with his boy. And the boy is so far in it that he can't even articulate. He can't even tell his own pain. He had a dumb spirit. And so the dad starts saying, man, it's been since he was a little kid. And he starts talking about the pain. Oft times it hath cast him into a fire and, and into waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. Not just on him, on us. Maybe today you're not facing something impossible, but maybe your kid is, maybe your, your sibling is, maybe... A friend of yours is what, and it becomes your pain, right? He said, "If you have, if you can have any compassion, have compassion on us, because it's killing me." Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, "If thou canst believe," Jesus said, "Can you believe?" All things are possible to him that believeth. What about the impossible? Jesus said all things. All things are possible to him that believeth. And he looked the dad in the eyes and said, can you believe? And straightway the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. See, he, he was living in the land of belief and unbelief at the same time. He said, Jesus, I believe you, but I don't believe. Jesus, I believe you. Please help the part of me. Please help the part of my mind that's screaming it's not real. 
I believe you. Help my unbelief. This is the dichotomy. It is an intersection of faith and doubt. I don't know what problems you have. I don't know if it's fear or addiction or racial tension or unforgiveness, but, but I know you can bring it to Jesus. And even if you have some doubt, it's okay. And even if His people... His disciples have let you down in the past. Still bring it. Remember we looked at last week. Jesus said, come to me. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're wore out, you're, I'm pretty sure this dad was pretty tired and weary and wore out. and Burned out. You can bring it to Jesus. Even if you got doubt, that's okay. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit. See, all this conversation he just had with the dad, boy's still laying on the ground. Nothing's happened, nothing's healed, nothing's changed yet. Jesus and the dad just had this big conversation about belief and nothing's impossible and all that. The boy's still right in the middle of his issue. Saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him. And enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead. Insomuch that they said, he's dead. Whoa. The spirit came out of him and he just... He was dead. And everybody around said, well, he's dead. Thanks for letting us know that, Mark. He gone. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. It was impossible. The whole thing was impossible. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Notice they didn't do it in front of the crowd. They said, hey, hallelujah. They got in the house and they said, hey, how come we couldn't do that? Man, dude, I told it to get out. He didn't go nowhere. Why couldn't we do it? Can I say when you're praying and asking God for something, when you're when you're seeking answers and trying to do the impossible and it doesn't work, your prayer doesn't get answered, don't just say, oh, well, I'll try to get over it and move on. Have a follow-up conversation with Jesus and find out why. Do you know what the disciples did? They got along with Jesus immediately and said, hey, why didn't that work? That's a healthy thing to do. I've prayed a lot and didn't get the answer I was looking for. Sometimes didn't get it immediately. Sometimes looking back, I realized it wasn't a good, I'm glad I didn't get it, but for whatever reason, but go to Jesus and ask him. Follow up on it. 
And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. He said, Hey, this was a tough one. It, it can only come forth by prayer and fasting, by, by putting in the work, by building your faith, by, by believing. Look at um, this story was told in Matthew. And uh, we won't, obviously we won't read the whole story there because we just read it. But Matthew 17, 23, Matthew recorded a different thing that Jesus said to him when they asked like, hey, why couldn't we do it? Wait a minute. Write down the wrong scripture. Matthew 17, 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief like you didn't think you thought it was impossible because of your unbelief for verily I say unto you if if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed it's like the smallest seed it's the size of like a pinhead so that's little that's almost like an insult Jesus is telling them like if you had a little bit I'm talking about if you just had that much faith just a little bit like if you would have just believed you shall say unto this mountain remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and look at this and nothing shall be impossible unto you what shall be impossible nothing Nothing shall be impossible. So Jesus said, guys, this was a big one. Guys, this was a very impossible situation. There was a lot of pain. There were years and years of hurt. Those demons had been there for a long time. This was, he's, he's saying this was a big one. And if you had the faith, how? Like he said in Mark, prayer and fasting and building it strength, the practice, the time in His presence. In other words, the disciples took a million dollar shot and missed. Right? They went for a big one. And they missed it. And they asked Jesus, well, why did we miss that million dollar shot? It would have been good if I had a million dollars. I was going to tithe. Like, I, it was a good thing to cast a demon out of the boy, so why didn't it work? And Jesus says... Pretty much, Jesus is saying, because you haven't been shooting threes in practice. You haven't been spending the time, prayer and fasting and speaking the language of faith. Look at Romans 4. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. We're talking about Father Abraham, the father of our faith. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Notice, calleth those things which are not as though they were. 
it doesn't say he calls the things that are as though they were not. See, I've seen people do that. All right, if I break my arm, it is broke. And it's kind of dumb of me to sit here and say, it's not broke, it's not broke, it's not broke. In the name of Jesus, it's not broke because it's still broke. I need to go to the hospital. And some people get that backwards. So they're calling things that are as though they were not. And that's not what it says. It says, call it those things which be not as though they were. It's that creative breath. It's speaking into existence. It's, it's aligning your language with God's language. It's saying what God says about yourself, about other people, about who God is. Who against hope believed in hope. Against hope. He believed in hope. I got no hope, Pastor. My situation's impossible. I got no hope that it could turn around. I got no hope that he could get off drugs. I got no hope that whatever. Then against hope, I need you to believe in hope. I don't care how impossible it is. Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. He believed God over the circumstances, over the natural, over his body, over his wife's body, over he chose to believe the word that was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith. Let us know Abraham wasn't weak in faith. He had an impressive faith muscle. Abraham was not weak in faith. He considered not his own body, which was now dead. Well, dang. Pretty bad. Now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Like God said, you're going to have a kid. He's a hundred years old. The writer of Romans lets us know that his body was dead in the childbirthing, conceiving department. And not even to mention Sarah was also dead in her womb and her. It's over. It's gone. It's impossible. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He said, okay, God. We'll see how it's going to happen. He had faith. And here's what Abraham did. He spoke it. He believed it. Now, a lot of times we'll we'll speak it and we'll believe it. But then Abraham had to act on it. I'm not going to go too much into detail on that one, but he had a kid. Him and Sarah did. I think most of you have had the birds and the bees talk. You know, that takes some action. Something has to happen. And they were old and... Like Romans just told us, as good as dead. Ugh. 
but they took action on the Word of God. Even though it didn't make sense, even though it didn't even seem like it was going to work, he not only spoke it, he not only believed it, but he got up and took some action. He said, well, I guess I'll blow off the old Barry White tapes. I mean, he had to take some action. Abraham, the father of our faith, he learned to put God before the impossible. Now, I'm not saying you won't see the impossible. Remember the dad we just read about, he, he, he still had some unbelief, right? He still had doubt. But notice what he said to Jesus was, I believe. His belief was first. His belief in God was first, and the doubt had to take a back seat. The impossible has to take a back seat to God because God is greater than the impossible. You're not greater. Your strength's not greater. But God is. And so by putting the impossible in the back seat and putting God first, that's what Abraham did. He believed. Even though we know there was some doubt. Right? Sarah laughed when she heard it. But he learned to put God first. You know that scripture, if God be for you, who could stand against you? If you just change up that spelling a little bit. If God before you, if you'd put God before you, then there's no impossibility that could stop you, that can stand in your way. John 15, 5. I'm going to wrap it up. John 15, 5 is when uh, Jesus Jesus was teaching on, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me and I in you, then you'll bear much fruit. He's telling, telling that. I'll just read you the one verse. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth, I almost quoted the one I was going to read. Abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. I'm pretty sure I did. For without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. See, we've been looking at with God, all things are possible. We see it all throughout Scripture. With God, all things are possible. And here, Jesus says, like, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're supposed to produce fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, hope, long-suffering, all the fruits of the Spirit. But Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And, and for a while, this, this verse kind of puzzled me because I can do things without Jesus. I promise you. Right there, without me, you can do nothing. Not true. I bet I can do some things without him. I have done some things without him. Without me, you can do nothing. It doesn't say without me, you can't do anything. I can do all kinds of things without Him, but they will amount to nothing. It's just a big bunch of nothing. Like it, it, it's not pushing me towards my purpose. It's not growing me. It's not helping people. It's not strengthening my, my relationship with Him. It's, so anything I do outside of being connected to Him, being connected to the vine, is nothing. 
Look at what the angel, the angel was talking to Mary and Luke. See here, Luke 1. When he came to talk to Mary about pretty important call that he had on her life, which was impossible, that God in man form was going to be placed inside of her and she was a virgin. Pretty impossible. Angels talking to Mary about it. In verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. I've never slept with a man. How can this be? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. The angels say, Mary, I need you to believe. Mary, I need you to trust. Mary, you're going to have to have some faith. And then I love the fact that he, he throws in there something impossible that, that God's doing in somebody else's life. Right? That's a testimony. So an angel told her a testimony that God was doing in her cousin's life to help build her faith enough to where she could believe what God wanted to do in her life by looking at what God was doing in somebody else's life. See, Elizabeth's old, and she wasn't supposed to have a baby. And, and you know your cousin, she hadn't been able to have a baby ever all these years, and now she's too old to even have a child, and she's pregnant. In fact, she's six months pregnant. The angel is telling that to Mary to build her faith so that she can trust and believe in the purpose that he's trying to give to her for her life. So, so the angel's like, yeah, the one that was called barren, mm -hmm, verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And as I read that this week, like I've read that before, and it says it in different places in the Bible, with, with God, nothing shall be impossible, but... When I was thinking about that, that verse I just read in John where, where Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Or it will be impossible to do nothing with God. Your life won't be nothing with God. Think about it that way. With God, nothing will be impossible. Without God, you can spend your life doing nothing. Building castles of sand and kingdoms that will fade and, and relationships that are meaningless and will just blow away with the wind. And you, Yeah, you can spend your life on nothing. Nothing that will last. Nothing that will stand the test of time. Nothing. But with God, nothing is impossible. Why? Romans 8, 28, because he uses all things. He works all things together for our good. 
to them that love him and that are called according to his purposes. So it's saying when you get God and when you get a relationship with God, there is no more nothing moments because every moment is being used. Even the ordinary moments, what you do in the ordinary moments are setting you up for the defining moments. Now there are no more nothing moments. It's training. They're not all million dollar shots, but it's practice shots. Because God uses all things in our lives to get us ready to prepare us for the purpose and the call that He has on our life. There are no more nothing moments. See, for with God, nothing is now impossible for you. Your life matters. Now that you know how much God loves you and that He calls you His sons and daughters, nothing's not an option. For now you have a purpose and a meaning and your life matters. And the impact that you make matters. And everything that you do is setting you up. There are no more nothing moments. Every day is just setting you up for one day. Every day... Steps of obedience are setting you up for the impossible. To embrace the impossible and believe what God said. What you do in a defining moment is determined by what you did in the nothing moments. You don't just wait until it all hits and then do it. It's not meaningless. Your life, your time, your job, your kids, your your sin, your addictions, your struggle, nothing is meaningless. You got to preach it to yourself every day until you believe the truth about who you are. It's call and response. If I throw something at you, I don't have anything good I can throw in here. If I throw something at you, you'll react. It's built into you. When you see something flying at you, you react in some way. You're going to try to dodge it or catch it or... Or some of you, it'll hit you in the face and then you'll react out of your anger or your pain or whatever, but you'll, you'll react if I throw something at you. And you can train yourself to respond. That's what athletes do. Now, the first time you chunk a football at somebody, they probably can't catch it that well. But the more you practice and develop that skill, your hand-eye coordination, and you learn how to do it, you get better at it. And then, more than a reaction, it becomes a response. And somebody that's good, a good receiver, like Julio Jones, it's not just a reaction. Oh, there's a ball flying at me. No. It's a calculated response to the pass that Matt Ryan throws because he's practiced. Life's going to throw a lot of things at you. 
Life's going to hit you with some impossible things. And not just life, God's going to throw some impossible things at you. Don't let them hit you in the face. Knock you in a ditch somewhere. Black your eyes. Every time an impossible thing gets thrown at you, don't sink into an addiction or a depression or a, like because you haven't built your faith enough to respond. So you just react in whatever way. It's going to be baby steps at first. Every day. You spend time in His presence. You build your faith. You, you remind yourself of who you are and who God says you are. In prayer and in fasting and in relationship with God and with His people. You learn to speak the language of faith. And you train yourself to respond instead of react. You see, the proper response as people of faith and as Christians, the proper response to the impossible is faith. Oh, I believe in God. I'll put my God first. That thing can take a back seat. When life throws something at you, we respond in faith. We speak the language of faith. You know how when somebody speaks another language, it tells you some things about them, like possibly where they're from. Even when somebody has an accent, you can tell, he ain't from around here. Right? The first time I met my brother-in-law, RJ, over here, I was introduced to him by my ex-brother-in-law, Ronnie Huff, in the Bremen Walmart. Ronnie walks up and says, hey. I said, hey. He said, want to introduce you to this dude right here. And I remember thinking, who is this guy? Pretty tall, skinny looking dude. Had some wild, crazy looking hair. And he walks up and shakes my hand and talks to me. And I could tell right off the bat when he started talking, like, he's not from around here. He must be a northerner. Right? And as you get to know RJ more, you realize, oh, that's why he talks the way he talks is because of where he's from. Little did I know, God was bringing RJ into my life. To do some awesome things. But right off the bat, I could tell from his accent that he was from somewhere else. Now, Jesse, she's from California. When I first met Jesse, you could tell she was from somewhere else, and she made fun of some of the words that I used and tried to speak to me about spelling. You don't just say pen for everything. Pen, pen, pen. She said, it's a pen. And like she would correct my speaking and tell me how to spell stuff. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know how to spell anyways. <laughs> what are you trying to do? <laughs> it was really bad. So I'm proud to say that after all these years, like, we're coming up on 19 years of marriage, and now she talks a lot more like us, right? She wouldn't say y'all before. 
Now she says it all the time. Hey, hey, I'm talking. <laughs> she was correct in everything that she corrected me on. My point in all of this was she didn't talk like us because she was from somewhere different. But look what happened. After spending so much time around people from the South, her accent began to change. Now it would be very hard to tell that she's not from around here. Well, well, how do I get to speak the language of faith? I don't know how to speak the language of faith. I wasn't taught that. I was raised in a house where they were led by fear. I was raised in a house where they didn't teach that God was first and the other stuff takes a back seat. So how do I learn to speak the language of faith? Or am I just doomed to follow my fear and doubt and, and have impossible things in my life because I can't speak the language of faith? like Father Abraham and all these heroes of the faith and like the same way you learn to speak English you know how I learned how to speak English my mom and dad wrote they bought Rosetta Stone DVDs and played them to me when I was a baby in my crib on English until I learned how to speak the English language and as you can tell I'm not very good at it God's telling me it's time to quit. I'm slurring my words here. No, that's not how I learned how to speak English. I was just around people that spoke English. And they kept speaking it to me over and over and saying things to me. And I could tell those people loved me because they took care of me and they helped me. When I was hungry, they gave me food. Even though I cried and just made messes for them, they like still kept taking care of me. So I knew that they loved me and I wanted to speak the language that they spoke. I wanted to speak the language of my mom and my dad and my... Well, I didn't have any siblings then. <laughs> of the people around me because I knew that they loved me. So that's how it's supposed to work in the kingdom. Or when somebody comes in, they don't know how to speak the language of faith. Maybe they don't know what God said about them. Maybe they don't know there's this awesome calling on their life. Maybe they don't know that, that there is nothing impossible to God. So what happens? They need to know that they're loved and that they're accepted and that they have a place and that their needs are met by us, the body. And then they learn how to speak the language of faith. And after a while, from being around it, you learn how to speak it. And messages like this kick us in the pants and make us realize, hey, we're saying y'all, and that's not really proper. And you keep saying pen, and I don't know which kind of pen you're talking about. Is it an ink pen or a sewing pen? Or a... And so we can work on it. Messages like this remind us areas that, that we're not speaking in faith that we're not trusting God. God, we believe. Help our doubt. Help our unbelief. God, help us to love and to give a place and acceptance and to meet the needs of humanity. Help us to be good examples. 
Help us to not only speak the language of faith, but to teach the language of faith to our kids, to the other people that would come around us, and to trust you. God, give us wisdom. God, help us dream big. We don't want to live small lives. We want to live big. We want to love big and serve big and and be the people that you've called us to be. So God, we're going to take some million dollar shots. But we trust you. You know what's best. We're not going to let fear lead. We're not going to run from the impossible, but we will embrace the impossible and know that in the impossible, you're doing something amazing. God, help us to respond and not react when life throws stuff at us. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for all that you're doing. Continue to speak to our hearts and our minds as we we chew on this word. In Jesus' name, amen.